This podcast was recorded on Gadigal land. So before we start, I'd like to pay my respects to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, to all elders past and present. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome back to Careful. It's a podcast where I, Rose Kerr, chat to someone who's just super passionate about something. But it's so much more than that because I want to know why they care and how they put their thoughts into real action. This week, I've got a chat to share with you that's really near and dear to my heart because it's with someone I know. It's with a friend of mine, Eliza Kinso. I'll let Liza introduce herself because she's got a really beautiful way of doing that. But Bit of a spoiler alert, the thing she cares most about is helping people find food joy. My name is Eliza Kinso, I use she or they pronouns and I am a fat, queer, mixed race person and a registered dietitian. I live in the UK but I'm originally from Australia and I'm really interested in body liberation and disordered eating in my work but then also things around like storytelling and understanding lived experience and finding meaning and purpose through a bunch of different things. That's really vague but I like lots of things. (laughs) (laughs) No, they're good and they are reasonably they're quite deep and philosophical topics do you remember when you first started to engage in those ideas I don't think it's really a conscious like before and after it was more of a um, process of uncovering and learning Mm. about different parts of myself and different things that I was interested in I mean it all sort of for me it all stems from food and the way that food shows up in my life Mm. and sort of like the role that it has played throughout different parts of my life. You know, some of my earliest memories are like cooking with my mom and cooking with my family and really enjoying food and the connection that it gives to the world around us and to other people and to ourselves. But then I guess as I got older, that connection sort of became a little bit more distant as you kind of start living in society and are socialised to believe certain things about food and bodies and all of that. And so that sort of led me to studying nutrition. And then I guess coming out the other end of that, I started to get really interested in body liberation and intersectional feminism and how that relates to my work as a dietitian. And so that's when I started to bring more of the kind of critical thinking aspects. I'm still trying to figure out how I can kind of bring it all together so I'm not spread so thin, but I think it's a really interesting way of thinking. Do you think people are pretty open to this, I guess, like I'm thinking of someone who might have been to see health professionals and they're being told you need to lose weight, you need to restrict your eating and you need to do, you know, X, Y, Z, very like traditional ways to help them. Do you find when people then come to you or introduce these other ways of thinking they're open to it or does it take a really long time to break down systematic things that they've come to believe? Um, I think, I mean, because I'm quite open and upfront about what I do, I think most people who come to see me have kind of done a little bit of the thinking that's necessary to get them into this space already. And that, um, I would say they are open to it, but what I do find is that 
the like level, so to speak, that they're open to it on is is often quite limited. And so a lot of the work that we do is is about peeling back those layers and really understanding, you know, maybe for example, like some of the deeper roots of anti-fat bias. So looking mm-hmm. at how, you know, even if someone is white and in a smaller body, thinking about how racism has affected them in the way that they relate to their body, thinking about how gender, patriarchy, mm-hmm. you know, all of these kinds of big power structures have impacted their personal relationship with food and their body because, you know, that's the world that we live in. We, yeah. We've all been affected by these things. And obviously the the people who are going to be the worst affected by it are the ones who are actually, you know, the target or the victim of that kind of mm. oppression. But a lot of us hold internalised ideas that kind of perpetuate those ideals without us actually meaning to in the way that we relate yes. to ourselves. It is like I imagine that peeling back process must be both I mean it would be so confronting for the person but it must end up being such a liberating experience do you feel more freed knowing this these things both how they've been reflected in your life and helping other people yeah I think um I mean, a lot of the work that I do one-on-one, so like if I'm in a clinical space with another person, is centering around helping them tell their story and understand the things that have happened to them. And so when I, like, it's such a privilege of mine to be able to hear that and bear witness Mm -hmm. to that because a lot of people won't have, you know, articulated some of these things before, they won't have talked about this before, but you can really see that kind of... um, you know, like it's like dropping a heavy load that you've been carrying. It's like yeah. it's really liberating. So it's really nice to be able to kind of welcome people into mm. a community that knows what they've been through and understands and basically is just saying, like, we're here, we hear you. Um, but, yeah, it's super liberating. And I think it just, for me personally, having that space for people is really affirming in that it echoes yeah. my experiences and it also you know, tells me that I'm doing work that I'm meant to be doing. I'm, mm. I'm kind of fulfilling my purpose. Looking back, I mean, I've known you since we were, before <laughs> we were even born. Yes. But do you ever, I, I think, and you might not have an example, but do you remember when you were younger at all, if there was anything you cared about as much as this? Not in the same way, I don't think. Like yeah. I feel like the work that I'm doing now and the stuff that I'm learning now like I think you know for complete transparency like there's been a lot of setbacks in my career Mm -hmm. particularly recently and a lot of what I've done like I'm very new like I'm only 25 I'm in a very sort of early stage of my career and of like doing this work and I think like a lot of the work in itself has been to slow down and to sort of like be a little bit more intentional and careful about mm. how I'm doing it and yeah. with that has come the recognition that I have a lot more learning to do and so a lot of what I've been doing recently is sort of doing that learning reading yeah. listening to people doing more study like all of this stuff because when you start to like we we're saying before connect those dots and realize that there's like you know everything's interconnected there's you know, the the opportunities for learning and exploration are pretty much endless. But what I was thinking is that, you know, even when I have cared about things in the past, I haven't had the same sort of sense of purpose or motivation yeah. for it in that, like, it hasn't been, I haven't felt that real drive of, like, I need mm-hmm. to do this. This is what I'm meant to do. And I think, like, 
there's been sort of like snippets of it here and there, but it's still the same kind of stuff. Like it's the same thinking about food, thinking about body liberation and feminism, like, you know, they're the things that have always motivated and inspired me. But how, like the space that I'm in now has sort of brought all of those things together and actually enabled me to work with it in a way that's much more, to use a very like capitalist term, productive. <laughs> I mean, it must get emotionally exhausting for you, surely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I spent most of last year very burnt out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, throughout the pandemic and doing this work alone. Um, yeah. I was working for a company, but I was working from home. So, you know, you know, the things that people were sharing with me, that was all contained in my home environment, which was quite um, confronting and stressful because it didn't really have any way to be diffused or yeah. to kind of, um, I couldn't get any separation from it. And that's not necessarily to say that, like, you know, my clients are putting anything bad on me. I, I think you know, I'm really grateful to have been able to hold that space for people and do that work over the last year. But when it's happening in a very confined space that you're also then having to live in and kind of do your own processing and healing within throughout lockdown and everything, it's been pretty difficult to to kind of care for myself throughout, throughout the last year or so. When you find someone who's kind of open to the topic but hasn't really thought about it before how do you how do you phrase it as like why should people care oh that's a hard question I think it depends on um where they're coming from and Mm. their sort of level of understanding because a lot of people don't really understand what I do and they don't really get it um but the way that I tend to describe what I do to people who are sort of like on the periphery or on a kind of you know they, they don't quite they're not sort of full, you know, two feet into this space is Mm. sort of explaining that, well, the work that I do takes, you know, it takes the training that I've had as a dietitian and as a nutrition professional and all of the kind of, you know, qualifications, so to speak, that I have in that area and translates them and kind of like uses parts of those skills and parts of other things that I've picked up along the way to support people with whatever's important to them around food. So for a lot of people, that means connecting with their body and learning to understand and explore their lived experience and also their more like physiological cues around like food and then thinking about the like the role that food plays in our lives and all of this other stuff. And I think that like, you know, that's not for everyone, like I said before, and that's fine. Um, but I tend to end up working with people whose values very closely mirror mine in that we, mm. we share a lot of similar um, traits and things that are important. And so I think that's where my real purpose lies is helping people who can relate to me um, with, you know, finding finding that for themselves and being able to kind of break away from that societal expectation and structure around food and bodies and being able to just like find a more embodied and compassionate approach with food and eating and body image stuff. And I find it really interesting that some people are just not aware of some of the rules that society has put in place that we're all subconsciously living by. Mm -hmm. What are some of the kind of key things that you, misconceptions you find people have about their bodies and about their identity that you wish, I don't know, that that's it, a good cue for people to start thinking about. <laughs> yeah, that I wish didn't exist. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the easiest route into a lot of this stuff is just thinking about the practicalities of day-to-day life. You know, like Mm. if you are, regardless of what body size you're in, if you're feeling self-conscious about the way that you're dressing, if you're feeling self-conscious about the food that you're eating, if you're worried about how much and what you're eating around other people, that's a pretty clear sign that there's some internalized like anti-fat bias going on because you're, you know, you're checking what you're doing against others. And I think there's such a normalized um, idea within like Western society that people need to be thin in order to be healthy and people need to be living their lives in a certain way in order to be socially acceptable. But basically when you start to feel the pressure of that becoming oppressive, Mm. that's when it's like, it's like time to seek out other ways of living because there are other options. You know, you don't have to keep wasting time trying to shrink your body and like it's revelation. I know. (laughs) Yeah. It's just another part of making yourself more palatable to other Mm. people. And I think like, you know, if, if they're the people that you're trying to impress, like, is that something that you actually even want? Like, do you want those people's approval or do you want to be able to just like, exist unapologetically in your body mm-hmm. um I think it's it's difficult to be able to recognize that without someone showing you how messed up it is yeah um but I think a lot of people have this simmering sort of discomfort or you know for a lot of us there's there's not necessarily like a turning point but it feels really difficult to keep adhering to those standards mm. and you know, there's so much talk about like, you know, falling off the wagon or, Mm. you know, you failed, you've messed up when actually like that's a part of like a normal physiological human response to to dieting. And like, I think if we were able to just approach things with a little bit more care and compassion, it'd be so nice because there wouldn't be that sense of pressure or judgment around bodies Mm. and food. And we'd be able to just like, you know, live in a way that's actually um holistically supportive for us yeah um and even on a health perspective that would actually be much better for people because they wouldn't be trying to like starve themselves and then having Mm. massive blowouts when they um you know when they get over hungry and need to sort of compensate Mm. for all of the restrictions so yeah it's it's tough but I think like to anyone who's listening or to anyone sort of you know if you you're noticing this in people that you're friends with like just recognizing that there is another option and that that there are people out there who are working in a more compassionate way obviously that's like the first step but it is a possibility to like escape and to get out of that really horrible way of treating ourselves you know it's not necessarily just about weight or about food it's about moving past that and being able to find like compassionate and respectful care for people regardless of their body size or Mm. shape or identity whatever it might be having spaces that care for you regardless of what you look like or who you are it seems like such a fundamental thing to ask for right (laughs) i know humans and treated like individuals instead of all one thing yeah yeah and i think the way that you know, there's like so much that you can look into with this, but the way that our society is built around favoring certain um, people and certain traits in people, what that means is that it's trickled through to all areas of society. Mm. And like that includes healthcare and that includes the way that we eat and like treat our bodies. And I think recognizing that 
that doesn't have to be homogenous. Like it doesn't have to be one, a one size fits all approach. And you can seek out ways of living that are okay. Like just based on what you want to do. Cause like, mm-hmm. if it's like, it's, if it's your life, you're not, you're not harming anyone else. You're not yeah. affecting anyone else. But I think there's so much pressure to sort of fit into a particular mold. And mm-hmm. unfortunately that is the mold that's was created on like, you know, a thin, cishet white man most people aren't that and so recognizing that it is okay to like try and find ways of existing that affirm your identity and your values and your way of life and even things like your traditions and ancestry and like your you know the things that you're just interested in and find joy in. I think that's really important given that this takes up so much brain space and you need to both look after yourself and look after other people. Is there anything that you care a lot about, but you don't have the emotional energy to work on yourself, whether that's like a cause or a topic? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I mean, particularly with the like political climate that we're in at the moment, a lot of the work that I do centers on individual people, like one person Mm. dealing with their own shit. And so it really frustrates me or I have a lot of internalised frustration about not being able to have the time or energy or capacity to fight for bigger causes. I've seen this happen both personally, I've experienced it, and also I see this happen a lot on social media where people who are working in like caring and supportive industries, so like people who are doing similar work to what I am, really get critiqued for not speaking up about these bigger issues. And I think... Mm that's really unfortunate because like I do care about those things and I am doing what I'm capable of doing to to address those things but at the same time like you know me adding my voice to the hundreds and thousands of people who are posting about this stuff on social media isn't actually going to help me like help anyone and so I think something that I find really uncomfortable about being on social media and having to use that space to do a lot of my own like marketing and kind of communication with people. It really frustrates me that that, that there's like this cancel culture where if you're not speaking up about something, you're just shut down because just because you're not posting about something doesn't mean that you don't care about it. Right. Yeah. yeah, Especially for someone who's doing so much in another space, like someone it's hard. You can't really do everything. No. Yeah. And I think that's sort of where it comes out for me is that I, like, I do care about these things and I do a lot of reading and learning and listening and, you know, putting my money where my mouth is, where I need Mm. to. Basically that's all erased by Mm. lack of talking about on social media. But I think being able to sort of pick your battles is a really important skill that I've learned over the last couple of years and being able to say, well, like, this is the thing that I care about and I'm going to focus on that because my voice is much more effective here than it is adding Mm. a tiny drop into an ocean of like other people's stuff. If someone's been listening and they're like, oh my God, I need to hear more from Liza. Yeah. How can they find you? Where do you live on the internet? (laughs) On the internet, I live at lizakins.com. So that is L-I-Z-A-K-H-I-N-S.com. Otherwise, I am also at lizakins on Instagram where I talk a little bit about this stuff. I also have a podcast called The Pantry Party. That's coming into its next season where we're going to be talking a lot about this kind of stuff. So bringing our values into the work that we do. So I am um, pretty much always 
accepting new clients. I see people in person in London or over Zoom. People can DM me on Instagram if they need or email me. And yeah, always here to to give people a helping hand. Amazing. Thank you so much for making the time for a chat today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Careful. And Liza, thank you for sharing your story, passion, and honestly, some really great advice. Now, if you like Careful, please share it with a friend, leave me a five-star review, and follow me on Instagram. I'm at rosie.zkerr. You can use Instagram to let me know who you'd like to hear from or what topics you'd like to hear about. You can expect the next edition of Careful in your podcast app in two weeks. I'll talk to you then.